Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello there. This is Jason Carty. This is Stephen Cockroft. From the podcast Nothing Is Real. It was all the way back in January 2019 when Disney first announced that Academy Award winner Peter Jackson, he of Lord of the Rings, would be digitally restoring 60 hours of never-before-seen footage and over 140 hours of audio from the Beatles' Let It Be get-back sessions in 1969. The end result is an immersive, vivid, intricate and joyful piece of work, The Beatles Get Back, a mesmerising three-part docuseries that will be streaming exclusively on Disney Plus starting Thursday, November 25th. Now, Stephen, we've been lucky enough to see a preview of The Beatles Get Back uh, from Disney Plus. It's very good. It's very good. <laughs> it's very, very it's good. very, very good. And it really delivers what fans wanted, which is a huge, immersive, colourful, deeply involving an intricate and detailed portrait of this month in the Beatles' lives. It is. I mean, I think what it does, it just contextualises what we already know from from other sources, from the original Let It Be film, from the Let It Be box set. It just puts all of that into context. Yeah, and it flies by. It's, it's, it's mainly never-before-seen footage. Even the little bits and pieces that are out there already, they're shot from different angles. Yep. They sound different. They look different. They feel different. They're in a different context. It's a game-changer if you're a Beatles fan. It absolutely is. And I think, as you know, we, we, we've seen the clips and you're focusing on the visuals, but the audio is spectacular as well. I mean, it, what they've been able to do there. It's a technical tour de force, but it also tells a very human story about the four most famous guys in the world trying to do an incredibly Herculean task of writing and recording a brand new album of 14 songs and performing it in front of a live TV studio audience in a fortnight. We could do that. Well, you know, we can vaguely do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. You start from the premise that uh, this is a crazy thing. This is a crazy idea that they've set themselves this this task. And uh, as much as it's about the the music and you can see songs coming together, it's also about the interrelationships within the band and, and how they interact with each other. And more interestingly, almost, is how they interact with the people around them. Yeah, it's fantastic. And folks, you can watch The Beatles Get Back, this amazing three-part event streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. The first episode will be released on Thursday, November the 25th, the second episode on Friday the 26th, and the third and final episode on Saturday the 27th of November, only on Disney+. Plus. If you don't have Disney+, Plus, you can subscribe on DisneyPlus.com. That's DisneyPlus.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin. 
That's right, just Dublin. We're back in the studio like two young boys on Fortland Road where eyeball to eyeball writing a new podcast for the first time in a very, very, very long time. I see what you did there. See what I did there? And what could be so important that we need to get back into a room to uh, to talk about things? Well, it's the Beatles Get Back itself. It's which the Beatles Get Back. Which is a new, uh, as you well know, docuseries that's premiering on Disney Plus on November the 25th over three nights and three parts and... In short, myself and Stephen are here to talk about it because myself and Stephen have seen it. We have. And it is magnificent. It is beyond magnificent. <laughs> it is it very, is. very, very, it is very, very good. good. Um, and so we want to play out this episode to celebrate this, to talk about this. And I think we should probably say from the get go, we're not, this isn't going to be an hour full of spoilers and we're not going to walk through it bit by bit. And, you know, we still want everybody to go out there and watch it and enjoy it and take it all in. But there's a couple of things that we do need to, to talk about in relation to it, because it is, um, you know, this has been a long time coming and it has delivered in many ways, I personally feel. I think so. Uh, you know, we've been anticipating this since, what, January 2019? Yep. Was that when it first cropped yep. up? And uh, with one thing and another, uh, it's been delayed. So, yes, the anticipation has been um, building. Uh, we've seen little trailers, little clips that have elicited different reactions from people, uh, <laughs> shall we say. Yep. But uh, I think it's safe to say that, yes, uh, having seen it, uh, it absolutely delivers. It's worth waiting for. It totally is. Now, the whole thing uh, is just shy of eight hours long. It's seven hours, 48 minutes across three parts. And you all know the story that it's January 1969 and the Beatles start in Twickenham with a view to re- writing and recording brand new material for a television special. Um and but it takes it, 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 it this thing starts the same way as let it be with the drum head being carried off into the corner and then it's a totally different experience for the next seven and and, and, and somewhat hours it is I mean I think what it does it it, it creates a narrative mm. uh, so so there's a narrative structure and although we know that they set themselves a deadline and we know that they set themselves a challenge of coming out with new songs a live show a TV special this actually makes it very clear what that what that meant, what that involved, and the pressure that they were putting themselves under. And there's a neat little framing device where they're sort of flicking through the days of a calendar as each day goes by. But it does create that sense of tension. And there is, even though you know how it's going to end and you, you know the story, there is that sense of jeopardy, I think, um, as, as you run across the, uh, the, the, the month. Yeah, I think that's the thing I liked most about it because, you know, amongst Beatle fandom, the big discussion has been, uh, oh, this is going to replace Let It Be and Let It Be, you know, uh, has a reputation. And we've talked about Let It Be before and yeah. I know you like Let It Be. And I do. You think it's got a good kind of three-part act of Twickenham, Apple, The Roof and it's, you know, they, they break free of yeah. the, the shackles and it's things. a hard day's night. It is a hard day's night for men with beards, basically. That's it. Um, but, uh, you know, it certainly, Let It Be has its reputation and, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on that. You know, obviously, Let It Be came out in May 1970. The problem with Let It Be was that, you know, the Beatles, for most of the public, split up in April 1970. And it was all Paul's fault. Yeah. Because he, uh, he did his press release and all the rest. But the popular consciousness of the Beatles that Let It Be emerged into a world where the Beatles didn't really have control of the narrative or of the story. And, it, you know, it was all to do with the Beatles split. And I also have my own theory, because I love a big theory, that... In May 1970, audiences weren't really accustomed to processing, I think, fly-on-the-wall footage or certainly seeing 
bands like the Beatles are big rock stars in a, you know, a less than flattering light or in a very real world light. I think that's probably a very good theory. I think I would probably subscribe to that theory. I don't subscribe to many of your theories, but I think I would subscribe to that theory. I, I, no, I think that is right, because if, if, if you had grown up with the Beatles and um, they could almost, we leave Magical Mystery Tour to one side, but they could almost do no wrong. And yeah. the, these songs just appeared uh, at, at you know regular intervals across the decade, um, fully formed. Uh, but suddenly this lifts the lid on the creative process. And it, it's it's not... I think, you know, it's not a process that that uh, the man in the street has any insight into that sort of creative songwriting process. Mm. And maybe there would be films, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein, things like that. And it's a rather romanticized version of songwriters sitting together and coming up with lyrics and it's all terribly jolly. Uh, but the actual pain and the, 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 the difficulty of the creative process, I think it does, it did lift the lid on that. And that's... Probably, yeah, it was probably maybe the first time that that had happened and, and audiences weren't ready. Plus, it is tainted. It was tainted by the fact that everybody knew they'd broken up. Yes. And so they're looking they're looking at it through a certain lens. And I mean, yeah, of course, there were things like the um, D.A. Pennebaker and the, the Males Brothers mm. and all those types of people were making films. But they weren't popular mass production films. They were they were kind of the 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 the. the, the art house. Yeah, they were the art house type yeah, of thing. And they, were, and they weren't as focused on sort of the creative processes yeah. as Let It Be is. But, you know, e so I think, yeah, even when Let It Be came out, people were looking at it with the benefit of hindsight, yes. you know, because they're looking back and projecting uh, an interpretation and looking for signs of a split. And they, they, they had their own narrative before they saw the film. But now, thankfully, we're living in the 21st century and, you know, people are able to process the real housewives of Twickenham, which is what this kind of is. We're all very postmodern. Um, but, but people wouldn't think twice about you know, some of the dour moments or the, the fights or the kind of the friction, because I, I believe we were able to process that kind of stuff better from 20 years of Big Brother, Real Housewives, all that kind of stuff as well. Well, I know you're a big fan of all of those scripted reality shows. <laughs> well, this certainly isn't scripted. And yeah, you know, what what has been spectacular about what Peter Jackson has done in The Beatles Get Back uh, is that it uh, he, he's he's taken his time. And so the device uh, that the movie uses, as, as you said, is they they have this 60 hours of footage that they've divined all of this from and this kind of 140, 150 odd hours of audio footage. And we'll come back to the technical side of things a little later on. But he, he takes roughly about 20 minutes per day. This is almost like 20, these mini 21 day, mm. 21, 20 minute documentaries across the whole month, which, you know, you could actually... I, I've already planned in January of next You're year. You're going to watch it in real time. I'm going to watch it in real time. I'm going to watch each day's individual 20-minute component as we go along because life is for living on the edge. Am I right, Stephen? I've said before, it's the wife and children, I feel sorry. <laughs> um, but, and, and you can do it too. But the, 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 yeah, the, the, the movie, you know, it, 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 it sets out its stall very, very um, well right at the start. So, you know, it, it gives us like a 10-minute version of the Beatles anthology up until January 1969 and then away you go. I was I was very taken aback by that because uh, I thought we were just <laughs> going to go straight into uh, January 69. So, but yes, it's an interesting... Um, Little sort of montage. Yeah. And I, I am, I, you know, I am conscious that, you know, you and me, you could say we're preaching to the converted here. I don't think there's anybody uh, li who listens to Nothing Is Real who needs to be swayed by us to go off and, and watch the Beatles get back. But it's, uh, 
you know, you do wonder in the back of your mind of, well, where does the appeal go for people who don't know the story? And I think Jackson has set up a very straightforward narrative, which is not revisionist. It's true of saying they've a month to write and record an album for a TV special. Boom. That's it. Yeah, I, I think by creating that narrative and that sense of jeopardy um, of the whole thing sort of teetering on the edge of collapse uh, and they've got a deadline. I mean, it's a classic kind of filmmaking mm. uh, tra- technique, I suppose. I, it does open up, I think, to the general or the wider public, something that might otherwise be quite niche. Yeah. And what's we were fortunate enough, uh, as we said, to, to, to see this in advance and also to get in, in you know, get, get invited to a Zoom press conference where Peter Jackson was talking about all of these things. And he does explain that, you know, he is, it is a movie about the Beatles, but it's also about the process itself. So Michael Lindsay Hogg is in this a lot and you, you kind of see this thing of, uh, you know, we, we were talking to David Hepworth a while back, or no, name drop, clang, uh, on the Word podcast. And he talked about this notion of the Beatles uh, never planned anything. And George even says that mm. in the film. And you're watching this thing evolve day by day. And you're like, they really have nothing planned. No. At all. It's crazy. Yeah. And you you think today um, the amount of planning and and, and project managing that is required to get, you know, a concert. Yeah. From from the drawing board to the stage. Um, You know, they're a week or two weeks out and they're still saying, yeah, well, maybe you could build a stage or could we do it here or could we use some of the sets? And (laughs) no one has any control. Could we use solid plastics? Yes. Solid plastics. There'll be something plastic that we could, you know, (laughs) we could build. And um, you do feel for for Michael Lindsay Hogg. I mean, you you just do sense that he's trying to herd cats here, that he doesn't want to fall out with them. He doesn't want to cut across them but and you can see him sort of working with each individual yes. beetle in yeah. a different way and I thought that was that was interesting you know he he, he speaks to Paul in a differently yeah. from how he speaks to John from how he speaks to George and um, it, it, it was slightly disconcerting that he was such a visible presence because if you're used to the Let It Be film you know he doesn't appear in that he's behind the camera and, yeah. but suddenly he's he's a pretty constant presence. Well, yeah, the, 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 it, it broadens the scope of Let It Be because, as I understand it, you know, when Klein was getting Let It Be into cinemas, he wanted everything recut so that it was just the Beatles, just the mm. Beatles, just the Beatles, and no one else is in the Let It Be film. And there's a wider cast of characters in uh, Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back, which, um, you know, and one of them is Michael Lindsay Hogg himself, who keeps, you know, I, I simultaneously feel sorry for them for him and then I also simultaneously wonder why the Beatles just didn't tell him to go away they're, they're quite tolerant they are <laughs> the, quite tolerant like the, the, like the four of them together and you know they they, they certainly are together you know they're, they're doing different things but at the end it all comes down to the four of them but they are remarkably tolerant of uh, for 95% of the time of what's going on yep. and of people like Michael Lindsay Hogg saying, well, you know, he, he's trying to get them to Libya to do this gig. Mm. And you're thinking, you know, how? And then they're, we're going to get the QE2. And you're like, how do you do? I mean, how, how do they have any sense? And I think the Beatles probably intrinsically knew themselves that that ain't going to happen, man. That, that can't actually be done. It's almost as if they're too polite to tell them this <laughs> yes. isn't going to happen. And one of the things that one of the things that, that I thought was interesting that Peter Jackson 
said on the press conference was that uh, he said there was only one occasion. He, mm. didn't, he didn't elaborate on that, but he said there was only one occasion where Paul said, stop filming. Yes. Stop recording. So at no point did they actually say, OK, look, let's just switch all the cameras, switch the sound off so that we can sit down and have a conversation about this. They, 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 it seemed to be that they had sort of committed to the filming yeah. uh, and, and the crew and the, the, the technical people being there and they were just working in that environment and they, they tolerated that. Well, yeah, I tried the whole thing. And of course, all the beats happen that Beatle fans would know, like George walks out and then they re, you know, they, they, they move from Twickenham to Apple Studios and then they, you know, the, the, the gig or the slash TV specialist downgraded to the rooftop gig. You know, all of that stuff is still there, folks. <laughs> they haven't, you know. CGI'd in any any Libyan amphitheatre or anything like that. Hobbits. Hobbits or anything like that. It's still, you know, the same series of events. But what 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 this version does, what the Beatles Get Back does is, you know, on January the second, the future is unwritten. Mm. And the problem with Let It Be has always been that the future was written when we saw it and when we experienced it. Yeah. And what he is trying to do by doing this day-to-day walkthrough of events is to say the future is unwritten for the Beatles. Yes, there's a bit of a bumpy road ahead because, you know, we know the story with Alan Klein and Apple and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, in January 2nd, 1969, day one, there's no immediate assumption that on January the 2nd, 1970, things are going to be any particularly different. No. You know, the future is unwritten. This is the project that they're doing for the month. And overall, even though there is that Twickenham Apple move and there's the, the George bit and all the rest... What's really interesting is how much they actually sign up for it. Like they really are all playing together all the time as much as possible in twos and threes and fours. Yeah. There's 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 no secret tracking. There's no George Martin slipping in for a quick piano solo. No. They, they, it, they, they actually say true to the form up until the rooftop. Yes. Uh, and that kind of blew my mind a little bit. I know it's that's the story, but it is really it, weird. It, by opening it up, I think it just it does just recontextualize the whole thing. So you it, it puts you know we all know the argument. You know I'll play if you want me to play, or I won't play at all. And that 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 that's become a, such a focus. Yeah. And um, you, you know the fact that he doesn't really use any footage. I think that that is from the original. You know, there, there's some incidents from the film. Obviously, are in this uh, in the Beatles get back, but yeah. if it maybe shot from a different angle or. But it just it recontextualizes the whole thing, and you you realize that, um, yeah, they they were actually working as a band, and it, it in that sense it sort of contrasts with I suppose in the same way that we thought well the White Album is all individual solo tracks, and um, you know for years that's what Lennon would say or Harrison would say we were all working separately, but here they're all in a room at the same time mm. working on arrangements, yeah, and um, in the original Let It Be film, you sort of get performances of songs, but here you actually see these songs just magically appearing. Yes. And that that was fascinating. And I, Well, I know we said we don't want to go through, you know, day by day, beat by beat, spoiler by spoiler, but there are one or two moments that we should mention. The arrival of Get Back yes. is an extraordinary thing to watch. It is. Where Paul is on his own and he's just divining this thing. And it's one of the purest or best representations of somebody trying to you know, catch inspiration, which is, you know, you know, before it slips through his fingers, you where could, he's trying to divine that little nugget of get back that works. Yeah, you can you you can see that he knows he's on to something. Yeah. You know, with the riff. And uh, that's something that 
you know, I don't think I've ever seen that before. No. Well, you're actually you're actually sort of witnessing the birth of something. It's 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 just big. It's just arriving out of thin air. Yes. And and um, I suppose the thing is, we all know what it ends up. Yes. Like, so this, again, it's it's like George trying to come up with a lyric for something. We all know what the lyric is, and we're just kind of willing him on to yeah. find it. But get back is something again because there's one you know one second there is nothing. Yeah. And then suddenly this thing starts to emerge. And I know Paul had always said, oh, it was just something we made up in the studio. But it literally is something that it just it, it, arrived. That, that moment is fantastic. And, you know, out of all the songs that, that feature in, in, in The Beatles Get Back and an awful lot of songs feature, everything gets recognised in this um uh, docu-series like uh, they, they don't leave any stone unturned they they, they catalogue basically almost everything that the, yeah. the Beatles try but there are certain songs that pop up again and again in the Beatles Get Back and Get Back is the main one where they keep coming back to it to see what to form refine. it's in yeah. and we've all seen the bit that's in the trailer where you know Ringo says uh, looking for a blast from the past <laughs> where he's they're trying to write that little bit of lyric and as the audience we're all sitting at home going you know we know what it is isn't it obvious to you yeah. guys and it's a really compelling presentation of the the creative process um, so, so that's a marvellous moment but you know, comparing it, and I don't want to—I don't mean to keep coming back to the "Let It Be" comparison, but I think there's been a bit of press in the build-up to all of this that people have said, "Oh, it's going to be a jaunty recreation of January," and it's not. It's four no. guys working, and they are all still working to type. You know, Paul is still turning up, pushing things along, being the workaholic. Ringo is still being the—you know—the one who's trying to facilitate yeah. everybody and who's really happy and who everyone loves. Everyone loves Ringo. Yes. Um, George is, I, I find George's journey across the seven and a bit hours the most compelling because he does have the blow up. And by the end of it, particularly on the song Get Back itself, George loves Get Back. Yes, you can see that. Yeah. And yeah. he, he realises it's great and he, he, you know, getting his bit into it. And he's he's there at the kind of the birthing process. So yeah. he, he's he's there watching Paul come up with the original riff. And then it's sort of the final, you know, with him playing it on the rooftop. Um yeah, I think George. It's it's very interesting that he sort of, you know, he mentions the band at one point, and um, you know, he's just come from that environment, and you do get a sense that he's 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 willing them to into that basement tape vibe. Yeah, and it's just not happening. Um, and it also makes you realise that there was too much emphasis put on that argument with Paul, I think. Yeah. Um, in the Let It Be film. Well, they do eventually obviously move to a basement. They move to the Apple mm. basement. And you can't help but wonder, you know, they just should have been there from the start. You know, there, there's a couple of sea changes and they do parallel, you know, what you see in Let It Be. But, you know, you know the, the, the first part of Peter Jackson's movie kind of focuses on the Twickenham. And then the second part is, you know, into the Apple Studios part of the, the rehearsal process. And you know, even even the physical space of them on top of each other in Apple Studios mm. is more pleasant to watch. It's more conducive to, to what's going on. It's funny because you, you, you do see them discovering that studio. I yes. mean, at one point they say, this is really quite nice place. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is quite good. And, you know, and, and um, so, yeah, they're kind of quite pleased they've got their own space. And, and you sort of, it, it's, it's weird because it's just, 
nice green carpets and white walls and they're still, you know, there's wires everywhere and they're bringing equipment in, but they, they just feel comfortable in that space. Well, it's it's one of those things that, you know, we, we are very used to now uh, bands sort of having a crash space mm. or having their own studio or having their own. So, you know, I'm thinking of somewhere like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you know, they have this extraordinary facility that they built up over the last 20 years where they keep their gear, they, they record their stuff, they maintain their archive. And it's another one of those kind of great ideas from Apple that people kind of refined on in later years where, you know, you have a base, you have your stuff, you have your archive all under one roof if you're a if you're a big band. And, you know, if if things had stayed together more, Apple could have been like Apple did stay to be a great studio for a while for a long time. Yes. And it could have been a great base for them to just sort of drop in and out of do their solo stuff, do their group stuff. You know, you can and and, and it's as a studio, they put it together in a weekend. It it that's Fascinating as well. Yeah. Uh, to see. And also the interesting thing is that, you know, they bring George's <laughs> yes, uh, eight track machine. Eight track machine. Yeah. So you just like bring it from that bring it from home. Yeah. yeah, I've got one of those, you know, kind of bring bring that in. Um that, that intro the technical side of it is quite interesting. And in that context, um George Martin's presence as well, where he suddenly appears. Yes. Um and that's a very interesting to see him engage slowly. Yeah. You know, he kind of is on the very much on the periphery and he's kind of watching the rehearsals to the extent that he's there at Twickenham. Yeah. And then he gradually sort of moves into the center. Well, that is something I was trying to tease out and it, it was probably beyond the scope of the movie because as I said, the movie uh, looks at everybody who's in that universe. But Glyn Johns is there as the producer mm. and he's trying to set up the studio and he's trying to get them to to do things. And when, when George gradually appears, George Martin gradually appears more and more throughout the, the hours of the Beatles get back, uh, what I kind of noticed was he's the only person who really fits in with the Beatles. And by that, I mean, you're watching this thing and it's constantly the four of them and every other person yep. trying to get something, get them to do something, get something out of them, get an answer from them. And, you know, George Martin appears and he's actually of that group. The only other person who I think fits into the Beatles group and he's a huge presence in the movie is Mal Evans. Yes. Um, But George Martin in particular, you're kind of wondering, what is the George Martin, Glyn Johns dynamic? Because there's some really telling bits with George Martin where he's got a set list ready for the roof of all the songs they've done and he's trying to improve guitar sounds in the background and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I suppose the traditional take on that is that Glyn Jones is there for the rehearsals. Yeah. Uh, these are just rehearsals in Twickenham. These aren't, reco- you know, recording sessions. So George Martin is not required. They're they're workshopping in the same way that, you know, they were demoing in Esher and they're sort of working on arrangements. So George Martin is not there. But you do get a sense that if they had started in the Apple studio with George Martin there on day one, yeah. it would all have happened much more quickly. Yeah. Um, because he does kind of, as you say, he knows how to speak to them. He knows how to get the best out of them. But yeah. you do get a sense that with Michael Lindsay Hogg and also with Glyn Johns, they're, you know, they're dealing with the Beatles and they're not quite sure yeah. how to approach them. And you can see them trying different techniques. And sometimes Glyn Johns is a little bit offhand with them. Yeah. And you can see that it gets a little bit testy where Lennon in particular is kind of saying, Glynis, <laughs> you know, can you do this or can you do that? Well, but when George Martin arrives, he knows how to talk to them. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's something you even see through to the modern day, you know, even with Paul McCartney, that he has certain, you know, when he brings in a new producer, 
you know, is is it is it kind of an unctuous relationship or is it a casual relationship? He, you know, they're still dealing with all the baggage. And he always lets them know they haven't written the number <laughs> they one. Haven't written number <laughs> one hits. Um, but yeah, when George Martin rocks up, he he has the language and he 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 has the shortcuts to to get things done. And it's really interesting to see how George Martin kind of weaves in and out of this. He's also a handsome bugger, isn't he? He he yes, that that he he is. He's a very kind of classically yeah. you know, he could be at least like a matinee idol. Yeah. Like particularly because everybody else is so scruffy yeah. and so badly dressed. He's like, yeah, he's carved from and he looks like he's about, you know, fifty nine and he's yep. not. Yeah. You know, but he's he's oh he's George Martin is is fantastic in this. But we should yeah, and we just mentioned there Mal Evans, and it's lovely to hear Mal Evans talk and to see him exist and to uh, to bring Mal-, Mal Evans to life in this movie was heartwarming to me. He is so comfortable yeah. in their presence in yeah. a way that nobody else seems to be entirely relaxed. You know, you and I wouldn't be relaxed in Paul McCartney's presence, I imagine. Uh, but Mal, Mal no. Evans is just so comfortable <laughs> in that environment. And I mean, God bless him. It's like, go and get me an anvil. Go and get me some orange juice. Get me some tea. Bring me toast. There's so much tea in there this movie. There is so much tea. So if I'm sure everyone follows the Teetles um, at the online Beatles tea experience. But there is so much tea in this movie, followed by an incredible amount of toast. I think I think Hugh from Teetles is going to be beside himself <laughs> at the amount of tea. In this it's movie. like Teetles the movie. Yeah, uh, Teetles the movie. That, that was the working title, I believe. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's Mal Evans to see, to see Mal like that and my favourite Mal Evans job is write down what I'm singing Mal yes <laughs> which is a great job you know imagine sitting there writing down crossing things out putting oh man that'd, that'd be that'd be fantastic we could do that I could do that yeah you know I um, and and there's also the kind of one or two little unspoken moments of the people who aren't there there's a very spectral Alan Klein presence yes which is played just right it doesn't say it's anything very well done if you know you know and you get to see, you know, Alan Klein doesn't exist at the start of the month. He exists at the end of the month. And that's all you need to know. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 a very, very, you know, in the Beatles Get Back, it's a very sort of widescreen panoramic shot of all the people who are involved in that universe at that time. Um, but again, as we said, nothing is planned and everything just builds and builds and builds. And the biggest change is obviously the arrival of... Billy Preston. Billy Preston coming in is... Is is extraordinary. It is a spine tingling moment when he walks into the studio. Yeah. I mean, it again. We know the story. We know he's coming. We know he changes the mood. Is is how George always said. Yeah. Know, it's like having a guest round. The family behaves better if there's a guest in the house. But it is a genuinely spine tingling moment when he arrives, yeah. and he is so cool. Mm. He is the coolest person <laughs> on the planet at that moment. And he's only, and I had to look this up afterwards, he's only 22 because he's like a teenage prodigy when he's playing in Hamburg. We have wasted our lives. What have I done? Like, why am I doing this? Um, the he, Yeah, he comes in and, but also Peter Jackson is such a fantastic storyteller. I mean, I, 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 well, and we've only seen this thing once. Mm. I really need to go back and watch it again. You're going to watch, watch it again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch it again because it's on Disney Plus in 4K. Dolby Atmos can't wait. Bring it on. Um, uh, I, I didn't watch it with the good speakers. <laughs> but you're watching this and Jackson is obviously a, a well-versed um, you know, movie storyteller and you almost don't notice him telling the story of Billy Preston where, you know, he begins as a bit of conversation and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, he's in town and then all, as if by magic, you know, via Lennon, he comes in and he's ju- he actually just comes in to say hello. It's not like come in and play on the sessions. He comes no, in to say it's, hello. It's, it's That is very strange. And he kind of, he kind of just grooves into the room. Mm. You know, he just kind of 
peers. And yeah. and, and it's not uh, that he, cha- it's not, I mean, he does change the tone, but he changes the sound. These songs that you hear yeah. in the kind of early, kind of slightly scratchy versions, and they do, they, they do talk about this. They say, oh, well, we need like an extra guitar or perhaps if we, who's going to play, you know, if George, if you play bass and then maybe Paul could play keyboards and then, but we, and they're, they're, they're struggling yeah, um, with with the sound of just the four of them, but he changes the entire sound. Yeah, and it, it just becomes something entirely different. Yeah, as soon as he comes in, um, you know, and it's a very casual, just play along with us, yeah. and you know, and he it, does. It, it is obvious from, from, to from everyone. The first moment he sits down, he just kind of yeah. fits, fits right in. Yeah, and it's you know something I noticed from listening to the 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 Let It Be fiftieth anniversary special super deluxe edition. Um, thing, thing. <laughs> disappointment box. Disappointment box. The disappointment box. <laughs> um, is how, you know, Let It Be is, a, is it's, I think it's the most American Beatles album. I think yes. it's the most un-British Beatles album. And, you know, you know, songs like Let It Be and The Long and Winding Road in particular have a very much a, you know, a soulful uh, vibe to them. And, you know, my impression is that those songs have a lot more weight in the States than they do over here. Like, they're huge all around the world. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, they're a different thing over there, like The Long and Winding Road it was, was a number single, one. Yeah. yeah, and a single and all the rest. Um, and, you know, Billy obviously contributes to that by the, the musicality that he brings. And when you're watching the whole thing unfold over the seven and eight hours that the Beatles get back is... Um, you know, at the start of it, it does seem like a, a really stupid, stupid thing that they're doing. <laughs> Two weeks to write and record 14 new songs for TV special. But by the end of it, and once you sit down and you process it, you kind of think, oh, yeah, they didn't have to plan it because they did do it. They did do it. They that's, did do it. That's the frustrating thing. Yeah. Because it, by the end of it, but you know, as you say, eight, eight hours, by yeah. the end of eight hours, you're sort of thinking, well, why didn't... It wouldn't have taken very much to get that album out. But that's the thing. that th- There's this brilliant bit where George Martin says to them before they go up in the roof, he's looking at the list of all the songs that have mm. happened in January. And he goes, you've definitely got an album here, chaps. Yeah. And because he knows, he knows what it takes. And uh, it's a really, really striking thing. And But they actually have done it. And what the, what the whole thing that the Beatles Get Back gave to me was that... Um, You know, I kind of sometimes you feel the Let It Be album is not really a proper group of songs. Does that make Mm, sense? It's a little bit compromised. But having watched this thing, I'm thinking, no, all these songs belong together. They actually have a very specific, unique sound that's to do with them. It's to do with Billy, but it is to do with the fact that they're playing eyeball to eyeball. And this is how they sound eyeball to eyeball as opposed to I want to hold your hand five or six years earlier. This is how they sound like now. But it is a you actually think, oh, actually, this is a really coherent group album. I hadn't really appreciated that before, even though that's the whole point of the thing. It is a sort of ensemble piece. They're they're, they're playing together. Um, I, I always sort of thought... That slightly different sound was was due to the fact that sort of George was trying to bring that band vibe to it. But mm. I think it is as much to do with Billy Preston just being in the room, and, and he he is bringing a kind of as you say a, a much more kind of soulful aspect to it. And yeah. Um, yeah, the only the only song that doesn't really fit is Across the Universe, which is uh, you know brought forward from uh, from 1968. And I think that's the one that kind of sits out. We're talking now really about the album, I suppose. But, yeah. um, but Across but yeah, the Universe I, does appear in The Beatles Get Back. It, it, and it does, it does. But 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 it's the sound of them playing together, I think, is absent on that song. But um, Yes. And the other interesting thing that, uh, you know, you're saying George Martin was saying, you know, I think you have an album, chaps. Peter Jackson was saying, 
when they went up on the roof, mm. they had already banked studio versions of everything they were about to play on the roof. Yes. So this was a that was the insurance policy. You know, they had good enough studio versions of what of the songs that they were going to use, but they were going to try and get live versions as well. Well, that's yeah. So Peter Jackson was asked at this press conference, um, you know, was there anything that you cut out that you didn't want to have cut out? And what he basically said was, uh, and I thought it was a fantastic answer. He said, look, I, I left in everything possible that I could because uh, I didn't want it to go away for another 50 years, which yeah. was a brilliant way of, of, of looking at it. And when he said that, I'm like, yeah, he's absolutely right. But he did say there was one or two things that he had to, that he, that he did put aside and maybe they'll appear on a Blu-ray or a you know DVD or whatever in the future. But he said there was a um, like an Apple Studios run through take of the one after 909, which he says was sensational. But they left that out because it was sequentially just before the rooftop gig version, which is kind of the ultimate. And also the full 12 minutes of Dig It, they cut down to four minutes because it was just a bit overwhelming. The, the one after 909, that annoyed me because I knew it was missing. You can see it's You could tell it's missing. You can tell. Yeah, it appears right at the start on yeah. day two, uh, you know, January the 3rd. And then it doesn't appear again to the rooftop. And you're like, did they not rehearse it in between? That, that It gives you the impression that they just sort of got up on the roof and thought, you know that song we did right at the beginning, you know? <laughs> but it's also the the, the, the thing that constantly um, I notice throughout all of this, because there's so much new music in it, is um, how underwhelming the Let It Be box set is. About yes. how much more we could have gotten. So there's this take of the one after 909, which is, is, is kind of taken away from us. That's not on the box. There's, you know, part one ends with a proper studio edit uh, over the credits of, um, what's it called? The Palace of the King, of the, of, the Birds, King of the Birds, uh, which is, you know, this this instrumental, which curiously is credited to McCartney, Lennon, Harrison Starr, because mm-hmm. um, I think it's al- already been registered to just McCartney curious um, because he revisits it in 1979 for the Rupert Sessions folks Um, but uh, you're kind of watching this going there's and Susie Parker appears as well you think man all this stuff that we wanted to get in the Let It Be box and it's it's all here and I know Giles Martin in interviews has said well we're not going to put it in the box if you can see it happening I've heard him say that in interviews we left stuff off the box that you could just watch which I I don't know was that really how he felt or was that just his get out of jail Uh, card that seems to be I think that seems to me to be a get out of jail card Um, you're saying you didn't listen through the good speakers I, I listened to it on headphones yeah and the sound quality is incredible. The sound quality is incredible. I did listen to it on, um, yeah, I, 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 I Beats Flex headphones, which are little linear headphones. But even on those headphones, they sound it sounded fantastic. Yeah, there's an awful lot. Uh, there's an awful lot of new music in this that was really exciting and, and thrilling to watch, and it's presented in a great way. And, and there's, there's an awful lot of technical know-how involved there. And we're going to talk about that and a few more things after this break. End of part one. Intermission. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. End of intermission. Part two. Welcome back. We're talking about The Beatles Get Back, the three-part docuseries that's streaming exclusively on Disney Plus from November the 25th across three nights. Uh, subscribe at DisneyPlus.com. Um, we have seen it. It is very exciting. Uh, there's still an awful lot that we haven't talked about. We, I mentioned earlier on about how each of the Beatles is kind of performing to type. You know, Paul is really working hard trying to get this done, trying to not appear as if he's the boss. Ringo is happily along for the ride. Um, George, despite all his worries, he does get involved in it. What I find interesting is all the songs that George contributes are his overnight songs. Yes, <laughs> that was that was fascinating because yeah. he, he doesn't he doesn't really come in with a well, you know, a, I've got a, a bag. He, do, he, he, he does talk about kind of his stockpile and all things must pass and all the rest. Yeah, but he just keeps rocking up and saying, this is a song I wrote last night. Hmm. Uh, here's another song I wrote last night. And yeah, and yeah those are the ones that, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about that on the Old Brian Shoe yeah. episode. So you see that happening. You see that run through. Yeah. Um, yeah, he has these overnight songs for you, Blue, uh, Old Brown Shoe, and um, what else am I thinking of? I Me Mine. I Me And he, he does also bring in kind of a very skeletal version of something. So, And he does talk about his, you know, he'd like to do a solo album and not yep. have the Beatles split up and all the rest. So there is all that. But there is another member of the Beatles we need to talk about. And I think we need to talk about the heroine in the room, which is John Lennon. John Lennon. And John has a very strange journey from... January the 2nd to January the 30th slash 31st. Um, he's not really present in Twickenham and it's not something that's directly discussed or alluded to. It really isn't. But once but you know that he's... Not quite there. Yeah. He does have that glazed yeah. look and and that's part of... That part of the story really isn't in the original film but Jackson doesn't shy away from that so the mm. camera will linger on John mm. and, and highlight that just vacant look and as you say it's not really alluded to there's one set one point at which John starts talking about drug use in a slightly oblique way and you can see Paul in the background very uncomfortable and trying to close down the conversation but it just isn't mentioned but that seems to, it seems to be that way all the way through Twickenham yeah and well, you do wonder if it's to do with the fact that Twickenham is like starting at nine or ten in the morning. I think he's oh, just tired. Well, he's you know he hasn't. Some of the effects haven't kicked in. He mm. you know as we get to the Apple Studios and you know we've all seen the rooftop footage. John is totally there. Um, it's uh, you know he 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 does contribute more. There's a brilliant section where Paul is asking John for songs, and that's the first part in the movie. It's about ninety minutes in uh, where I laughed. What I found odd was that I didn't laugh a lot. Uh, in the early parts of this film because you're quite tense yeah. and I'm used to laughing when I see the Beatles being interviewed and all the rest but you know <laughs> Paul is kind of shaking John down for songs John's like I oh, don't worry about it it's fine, yeah, it's fine. it'll be okay I'll just pull one from the sky it's all yeah. okay um, and it is actually quite funny that how John and we all know this from being Beatles fans John kind of he's still the boss even yes even when he's not present even when he's not contributing when mm. he's not producing songs he's still in charge you, yeah. you do get it's that really sense it's really weird and, and you do get the sense of Paul trying to manage him yeah um, and you know there is that story about the, him playing the sort of lap guitar on For You Blue and they kind of give him a cigarette lighter because that's a cool thing yeah. and that engages him yeah. or giving him the solo on Get Back so that they, they're sort of drawing him in but yes once he gets to Twickenham and again it's that moment when Billy Preston arrives that, that he just 
Lennon's face and he kind of lights up and everybody's kind of greeting Billy and that that it really does seem to be a catalyst. Yeah, Paul is constantly doing his kind of, you know, turn up grind, turn up work and John is just waiting for some kind of thing to to set him off and once he does get set off, you know, he can't yeah, be stopped he's and he's he, there he, completely. You kind of feel sorry for Paul that he's walking a tightrope. He's a bit lonely in terms of he's trying to make the best out of it but he he does feel Yes, you could. A but bit you, out of it, or a I bit think against so. everyone you, you, else. He, he does come across as being quite self conscious at some, some points. Yeah. You know, he kind of comes in at one point and he goes, Oh, Lennon, late again. <laughs> and he's kind of, obviously, he's conscious that he, he seems to be the most conscious of the mm. camera. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's an occasion where George says, what, you're recording our private conversation? Yes, yeah. Um, but Paul is constantly aware of the camera because it, and the image and. Um, uh, you know, keeping things under control. But yes, it is It is odd that he's trying to manage people. And then suddenly there is a trigger. Lennon is engaged and all is well. All is well in the world. And, you know, you see a, you know, a shorthand of communication between John and Paul all the time that John gets forgiven an awful lot of things by everybody else in the room because he's worth it. He's the boss. He's the mercurial presence. The, 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 th- the, the aspect of the song that kind of pulled that out for me was uh, Two of Us. Yeah. Because there's a lot, there are a lot of versions of that, mm. uh, you know, the, the ventriloquist version where they kind of <laughs> sing the thing at each other. And there's a point where you can see George looking at the two of them doing that song. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a sense where you kind of suddenly think, oh, George isn't included in this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, everything, everything is there. And I think it's the context. It's the, it's the context. Uh, that Jackson provide. One last moment we, we were talking about earlier on is the, the Dick James sequence when Dick James rocks up and gets treated very differently by all four Beatles. Yes. And um, Dick James seems to just kind of focus in on Paul. Yes. Where Paul is kind of, oh, they're kind of looking at a catalogue of songs and Dick James, oh, I own all these songs and that's great. And but Dick, Dick James is a music publisher from Central Casting. Yes. You know, he just, if you, <laughs> if you rang Central Casting up and said, send me, send me a music publisher from the 1950s, Dick James would arrive. Yeah. Um, I don't think he actually has a cigar, but he should, he should have, have a cigar. cigar. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And there's a sort of disdain from everybody else. But Paul kind of has a veneer of politeness yes. where he's not really going to turn his back, which George does more or less George turn his back. George actually turns his back. Yeah, yeah, and Dick James. It's really, really striking. And again, you know, for all the, you know, arguments that we know from Let It Be and all the other things that, that might have been going on, there's this constant stream. Once they broaden the cast of characters in, in, in this new The Beatles Get Back, um, once once they broaden the cast of characters, you actually get a sense more that it is the four of them against everybody else. And it's the four of them, the four of them, the four of them all the time. And they can have their own internal problems, but it's still the four of them from January the 2nd to January the 31st. That was one of the things that struck me in the press conference where Peter Jackson said, you know, they're all they're all individuals. And I think at one point he said they're just four lads from Liverpool. Mm. And I thought, no, they're not. <laughs> they're really not. Well, you, you get to see their individual personalities. But when it when it comes to it, when yeah. anybody else comes in, you know, not Mal or Neil Aspinall or George Martin, but when anybody outside that circle comes in, it's the four of them. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, but Jackson also pointed out that they're all still kind of nice really they're not like there's no massive assholery from any no. of them no. and they're all pretty decent guys uh, you know when, when you kind of look at it like there, there's, there's, there's no out of the 60 hours of footage there's no stuff where you're like oh my gosh that person seems 100% insufferable you know no I, I was expecting that 
there would be. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. Was ex- I was expecting there to be more internal division. I was expecting there to be more assholery, as you say. Yeah. Uh, but, and and it, it really didn't play out that way yeah. at all. And I mean, every, you know, they, they have spats, they have disagreements, they have ideas about songs going in a particular direction. I particularly dislike Paul's um, attempted backing vocals for Don't Let Me Down. Oh, yes, they were terrible. And you think, this is really not working, Paul. This is, this is, this is, you've not got the vibe of this song Well, the other, all. the other what if I had about the whole thing is, why didn't Billy play piano on Let It Be or Long and Winding Road? Like, yes. That well, was a, that, that would have been so soulful, so it, good. It, it, it would have been the obvious, it would have been the obvious choice. But, the, the, and that, it was frustrating that Billy arrives, everything is brilliant, and then he kind of disappears for a couple of days because he has to go off and do the Lulu, yeah. Lulu show. <laughs> yes. um, it's all Lulu's fault. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is just that his contribution is so, in a way, understated. Yeah. But it just informs everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we should talk a little bit about the technical side of this project because it's, um, you know, it's it's kind of expanded over the years. It's now, as we said, just shy of eight hours. Um, and Peter Jackson is someone who's known, you know, you know, he's made his Hobbit films and Lord of the Rings films, which, you know, are storytelling films, but have also had a huge technical component to them. And prior to the Beatles Get Back, one of the things that made me get excited that he was taking on this project was that he had done a project called I Shall Not Grow Old, which yep. took World War One footage from 1914 to 1918 and basically upscaled it to 4K resolution, colorized it, used all sorts of AI techniques to make it look, you know, you look at footage from the turn of the 20th century and everyone's walking a little bit too fast and it's all grainy. He made it look real. And the fact that, you know, okay, he was going to apply that technology to this 60 hours of Beatles footage. But the thing he talked about the other day is that the real technical marvel in this movie is the audio. Yes. And we know about Nagra tapes and all the rest. And there's an awful lot of this... uh, project where they are using audio and there's a caption at the start that says you know we've you know we're we're using audio in parts and we're trying to match it to appropriate mm. footage and you know there's 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 that thing where the back of the heads are saying something you know and they're trying to make it as true as possible but he's done an amazing job on the audio involved here the audio is incredible yeah. um you know we've all heard you know the bootlegs of the Niagara reels which are really mono um tape recordings of, yeah. that kind of break down into little 10 or 15 minute uh, clips. You, you know, we've all heard those. They've been circulating for years. They're not great sound. You hear you hear technicians talking over the top of, of individual takes and things like that. All of that's cleaned up. And yeah. he's he talked about using AI in this demixing program. Mm. So We've talked about demixing before when yeah. we visited Abbey Road and it's popped up now and then where you can take a piece of music and through artificial intelligence say this is what a guitar sounds like. Now just play me the guitar on this piece yeah. of music. And he's used that kind of in extremis here. Yes. And I mean, that's one of the things on the Let It Be box, the disappointing box. Um, <laughs> some of those takes, uh, you know, give me some truth. Those are things that I'd heard in the past with a lot of kind of extraneous noise yeah. over the top. And and again, listening on or watching with, with the headphones, the, the sound quality is staggering. Yeah. So you get little snippets of story you know we've talked before in a lot of episodes where they re- they play everything yes. uh, you know they revisit everything so you you get a little kind of version of help you get a little version of uh strawberry fields um you get previews of backseat of my car and give me some truth and we we we've heard all of those but never like this. Yeah, like Backseat of the car, you see him playing it on the piano and it sounds fantastic. And what Jackson talked about was that they were able to not only use demixing technology to say, pull out the guitars, pull out the pianos, but 
to actually say this is what Paul sounds like, this is what John sounds like, pull out their audio and he, yeah. he describes how they would have conversations against noise thinking they couldn't be heard and now AI can demix the conversation straight That's out of the blue. frightening. It is a bit really, it's a so, bit CIA. So when we were saying, <laughs> when we said earlier, you know, at no point did they really seem to say stop filming. Yeah. Uh, we want to have a private conversation. What they would do, he said particular, Jackson said particular, George and, and John, they would just turn their amps up yeah. and lean into each other to have the conversation and just aimlessly kind of strum over the top. Now they can get the strumming and they can hear what they're saying. It's you incredible. Think, this, is a, this is a terrible thing. <laughs> it's no, a terrible it's an thing. incredible thing. Um, it's, you know, I've, I've to admit, I've, I've never listened to the whole Nagra tapes. It just seemed it's, like too much work. And I, I know there's people out there, there's a, there's a whole podcast about January 1969. And there's a lot of work to be pulled out from all of this. But so for someone like me who knew chunks of it, like I knew about the John and Paul canteen conversation mm. and all the rest. But for, for, for to actually have it presented in this way, it's an amazing way to present it. It is. I mean, I, I I've listened to a lot of those tapes and it can be a chore simply mm. because you can hear other people. You can hear the technical crew talking. You can hear beeping and yeah. cameras moving around and people walking in the background. And it, it, it can be very difficult. And the, the podcast you're talking about is uh, Winter of Discontent, yep. which is a great podcast. I mean, it's a kind of forensic look day by day. Um, but you, uh, you, you, I think if they had the Niagara tapes cleaned up like this, yeah. I'd listen to them all. hundred <laughs> percent. It's, it's, it's incredible. But it's again, it feeds back to why isn't the box set better, the audio box set. But yeah, anyway. Well, you know, you know, Jackson said, for example, um, there's a 12 minute version of Dig It. Yeah. And he has that. Yeah. And uh, it's all cleaned up and it's demixed and it's available in stereo. <laughs> and he's got four minutes of it. In, in the movie and you think but there's 12 minutes of it could have been on the box oh, set 100% and, and, and so much of what is here the audio on this could have been in the box set but he talked about Jackson talked about this interesting thing which was that uh, he was being interviewed by a UK journalist Matt Everett and he was uh, you know the Beatles are still very protective I think of their audio legacy and Jackson was asked well for this movie did they have any notes and he said they had zero notes they had they didn't want anything changed that you know the Beatles now believe, seem to have passed into history he used this phrase they've passed into history that you know it's now 50 years plus they are what they are and so he was given free reign as a movie maker to deliver what he wanted to deliver mm-hmm. I think the burden is different for Giles Martin and co yeah. the Beatles are still locking down on a lot of that stuff I think that's true but mm-hmm. it's not fair and it's not what we want <laughs> no and you know we're entitled to getting what we want. Right? We're, we're absolutely entitled. We're we, used to we it. We must have what we want. But, you know, I think it's fair to say that we're preaching to the converted by talking to the Nothing Is Real audience and telling them about The Beatles Get Back, streaming from November 25th on Disney Plus at uh, subscribe.disneyplus.com. But what if we were to ask somebody's opinion who, I don't know, hates The Beatles? <laughs> Didn't even know The Beatles existed until it's just a, like a, a few short years ago. A mere neophyte, a guy who, you know, he's, you know, he might as well have a stereophonics podcast for all where, we know. Where, where, where could we find such uh, a I, I think it's time once again for the rare and unusual but appropriate uh, introduction of producer Edo on the mic. One of the joys about being back in our um, Dublin pied-à-terre. Uh, you watched this as well and we were talking about it beforehand and you have a very particular you know, uh, you obviously were joking, you you know the Beatles, but you're certainly not as uh, deep into the woods as myself and Stephen are. And one of the things watching it, I was wondering, is like, well, does somebody really want to watch all eight hours of this? What's what you seem to say? Yes. Yeah, I found it. Um, we did talk about this at the time. I found it very moving. Yeah. Very emotional, you know, and and 
I, I would be consider I consider myself a kind of a fair weather Beatles fan, if you know what I mean. And I've learned a hell of a lot over the last three or four years doing the show with you guys. Um, Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> perhaps, what, perhaps more than you'd like to. Yes. And why much do they really know? I just I don't ever understand it. Um, but I did find it very moving and very emotional um, on very a lot of different levels. So I work in the kind of creative industries, if you want. Um, so I work as a writer and director and producer and all that. So from a technical point of view, what you're talking about there a few minutes ago, even the camera setup alone, I found fascinating. So they shot in 16 mil yeah. at the time. And uh, there's about, I think, if memory serves, around 400 foot of film in a, in, a, in a can, which equates to about 10 or 11 minutes. Yeah. So they had all these cameras going to to get to, you know, over 60 hours, which is incredible. So even if I'm directing now, I'd have two <laughs> two cameras would be a luxury yeah. and you're, you're filming on cards. So it's a very, very different process. Um, and then from an audio point of view. So from a technical point of view, how we did that. And then even we'll get to a minute about the roof where he, uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg had nine cameras yeah. going, which is incredible. <laughs> but, but the foresight even in it, and Paul says at one stage, why didn't we shoot in 35 mil? And himself and George are having a conversation. That was that a very meta conversation. It was unreal. It was like a conversation to themselves in 50 years time. Yeah, and, and, and they had the foresight to think about that, of going where this is going to be and what they're going to do. And even within that kind of conversation, because they went, they came back to it a couple of times, they were talking about, Paul was saying about what they should be doing. And it was almost like he was looking ahead to kind of a guerrilla marketing type thing. Yeah. Why don't we do this? We're the Beatles, we should do this, we should do that. Why don't we do this? I found all that utterly fascinating because, we, you know, there's creative agencies across the world who would charge tens of thousands of dollars and euros for that. Yeah. Someone just kind of come up with that, you know, and they're just four guys sitting in a room talking about that. But the creative process thing I found quite extraordinary because you're talking about Mal Evans there uh, earlier on. So Mal was there to write down kind of what they were saying. So in recent times, 20, 30 years, I suppose, probably even longer in America, they have the writer's room. So they'd have like oh, 10 yeah, yeah. writers sitting yeah. around a table Everyone just talking, and somebody, two people, write everything down. And they go, Stephen, you're writing this week's episode. Here's everything. So Mal Evans was doing that, yeah. and they kept referring to him, going, "What did I say here? What what did you write down there?" And he's a constant presence, but he's constantly writing everything down. But then to see that the four of them kind of coming in, you talk about this for ages about, you know, that they hadn't they hadn't anything planned, they hadn't anything formatted, mm -hmm. but from the creative point of view of just noodling away, then playing other people's songs, and then trying to figure that out as they go, and then to give them inspiration. So. I do that. I read a book, you know, I yeah. try and go for a walk. I watch another video or a music video or a commercial to give me some kind of inspiration or some kind of creative thought process. That's what they were doing yeah. at large, you know, in, that, in, in, in Twickenham. I thought that was quite fascinating. You know, but really also did. they had a sense of if even if they didn't know what they were doing or what the, what the final point was, they knew what didn't work or they knew what they didn't want. And day by day, uh, you know, there is there is a very subtle pairing away of the kind of the useless stuff so that, you know, you do kind of get about two weeks into this process. And oh, they do have a bunch of songs that they can just tip into when they get to Apple Studios and play them and sort them out. So, you know, they even if they can't articulate, no, we're not going to Africa to play a gig as explicitly as that, even though they kind of do, um, you know, the, the, the moment where uh, Paul, somebody suggests to Paul and it's done without audio that actually, why don't we just play on the roof? You can just see his face it's wash been, yeah. over with this, that's an amazing idea. Mm. That's the idea. Mm. And it's about three or four days before the roof. That's a fantastic moment. And then they go up onto the roof to scout it out, which is hilarious. Yeah, and I thought that was a beautiful moment because again, it, what, because, you know, we, we've been joking here for the last three years about how much 
of, of well we haven't been in this room for not a while room, for some reason <laughs> of people's opinions of Paul McCartney put it that way yeah. but one thing I did and that kind of that launched that bit was he, he, all, he has this great sense of mischief about him of what he wants to kind of get from this process yeah. he's also always thinking about a bit of mayhem we could do this and going on the roof and we won't spoil where some of the cameras are placed in the yeah. uh, in that day of filming but even that kind of sense of mischief that are we're way ahead of the you know what they were thinking of doing well even from incredible. the let it be film you know you know that Lindsay Hogg had the foresight to have you know a hidden camera in reception cameras across the road cameras in the street cameras on the stage with the Beatles like he has thought this through and something this is a totally random thought but the thing that crossed my mind was you and me watched the show Taskmaster mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a show that has cameras hidden everywhere with little GoPros and they fix it in the mix mm. you know they, they they put it together and that's what he was trying to do back then is just to have as much coverage as possible and then fix it in the mix which is a very modern way of making television very much so and, and I think from Peter Jackson's point of view as well uh, the multiple Academy Award winner for Lord of the Rings you know those movies and those books epitomize the kind of the idea of the hero's journey mm. so when you were talking Stephen was talking earlier on about the kind of the narrative the driving mm. narrative force so the very basic level of storytelling beginning middle and end set up conflict resolution you can see the hero's journey from part one to part two to part three even from a very much a hero's journey where all is lost yeah. In, in Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or any kind of those films you think of Billy Preston arrives in yeah, and you know when you think of all this it saves the day so when the kind of the ending part is on the roof it is this beautiful narrative structure this total hero's yeah. journey thing so and in that, the press conference I wrote with Peter Jackson he did say um, he didn't edit it judiciously like it wasn't like as I said at the beginning a reality show he wanted to show it but he's a but he's a storyteller and he's yeah. a filmmaker so he knew kind of there's certain beats you're hitting on here that, that people can understand and yeah. kind of gravitate towards that made a lot of sense and will make a lot of sense when you watch it. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, as I said, the thing I have wondered about is, you know, people who aren't as intimately involved in knowing what the story is about, you know, whether they will plug into it. And, you know, I, I think you've answered that question. I mean, I, I was kind of looking back on, on old tweets and I was trying to, you know, when it, when I figured out, when, when they announced it was breaking into three parts, I was like, well, then hopefully it'll be Twickenham, Apple and Resolution mm. on the Roof. And, you know, he, he, he's absolutely right. It does. It's another one of these Beatle moments that actually does have a proper kind of story attached yeah. to it you know what I mean that it, it, mm. it, it it's amazing how it did actually happen well, well there's the, the idea of when you're doing when you're planning out stories you know so you have this kind of idea of order into chaos then mm. back to order again which is a, this kind of hero's journey thing so and you see it it is it takes seven and a half hours <laughs> to get there but it, it does epitomise all that you know and and even from again going back to my kind of passing interest of the Beatles one thing I found again very emotional in, in watching it was all, all we've just said, but also Paul refers to Hamburg quite a lot. Yeah, and he yes. said, "Remember we used to do this in Hamburg. Remember we did that in Hamburg." I thought that was quite incredible. They were going back to other bits and pieces that that they were trying to elicit from or take from, um, and and kind of referring to, that. and then every now and again referring to Epstein and the absence of Epstein, yeah. and you know the that whole kind of father figure idea, which they're kind of touch on between Paul and John. Well, we're talking about all the people in this. Epstein's a huge absence, and you see how Epstein would have been the barrier between all these people outside of the mm-hmm. core group, that none of them would have gotten near the Beatles in in the real world. Lindsay Hogg wouldn't have spoken to them that way. Lindsay Hogg would have been directing everything at Brian in a, in a different universe. Yeah. Do you think so? Yes, I do. I mean, I think I, th- I think I think that absolutely shows that there are people who come into their orbit and the, the way that the, the way the Beatles deal with it 
there isn't a, that politeness that you were talking about, that they're not actually telling them to get lost. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, you know, it's a little strained when it gets to Dick James. Yeah. But, you know, they do a lot, having committed to the idea, um, they have this sort of confidence that something is going to emerge mm. out of the chaos. You know, they have the idea of the film. They, they go in with the kind of idea, this is, this is, this is the way it's going to play out. Then it does start to descend. How many good songs have you recorded? None. Mm. You know, they actually say that at one point. How many good versions have you got? None. But don't worry, they'll be fine. Yeah, but, and, but by the end of it, they have also written half but, of Abbey Road. Have, like half, yes. Abbey, half of Abbey Road. This is the story of Abbey Road, this yeah, docuseries there are 12, as well. 12 tracks from Abbey Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 tracks from Abbey Road. Yeah, it, it, and, and Peter Jackson did say, he did refer to that in, you know, that they had nothing, but they were never kind of, you but, know, freaking out or going, whatever we're just doing, what, what's going to happen here? That's the thing. It never descends into panic. Mm. There's no sense there's of panic. No panic. I mean, no. there's a point where they're kind of getting a little bit frustrated or they don't know where they're going to do the gig. or that. But at no point is anybody sort of running around going, this is a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that confidence you talk about with, um, so one of my favorite songs of all time and nothing to do with anything else is I've Got a Feeling. And I, oh, yeah. I, when you again, you're talking about Get Back to kind of birth that song. When the birth of I've Got a Feeling and the way it goes and the way it, all the way to the rooftop is such a driving force. Yeah. And for me, and you talk about the show on, when Biddy Preston comes in and starts playing on it, it just it blew my mind. Yeah. It absolutely <laughs> blew my mind. And, you know, again, from a creative point of view of kind of going, this needs something. I don't know what it is, but it needs yeah. something. Yeah. And that happened. And you go and I go, that's incredible. That is the gift of this is that, you know, yeah, we do know how the songs sound, how they result. And we're willing them into existence along with the Beatles. You're kind of rooting for them because even though you know what they sound like in the end, once you hear the, the, the pieces fall into place, you just want to punch the air each time. Mm. It's fantastic. There, yeah. there is a great bit, but I've got a feeling it's in the trailer as well. Where, <laughs> you know, uh, Paul plays it for George and George goes, so is that called I've Got a Feeling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It just kind of blew me away from, going back to the technical bit as well, because a lot of the, all of the material was already digitized for, for Peter Jackson when he came in. So they saved them probably God knows how long mm. a year and they used Avid to edit this. So they kind of helped it up as well. But in a lot of cases, so I have an old Niagara machine at home. I'll send you a picture later on. Hey. Um, and uh, so even nowadays, you're kind of, you're filming something, you're doing that to, yeah. to sync it up. So didn't have a lot of that because there's a lot of just kind of cameras being reloaded and having the clapper yeah. loader coming and going out. And, you know, nowadays, if I'm editing something and just kind of find something and get rid of that, that smur or something like that, it's fine. But they have hair in the gates and you're talking about frame by frame by frame, frame, by frame going yeah. through and getting stuff out like that. Like that is like... <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. It, it, you know, I've seen people, you know, looking at the trailers and things in the preamble kind of going, well, I don't like the look of it. I think it looks kind of artificial. Mm. And having watched all of it now, it does not. It does not. It, I think he's done a remarkable job in terms of how it looks. Mm. Um, it feels very comfortable. It feels very natural. And, um, you know, this sort of sense of, you know, it does look very modern in parts, you know. Can we can we hope that Peter Jackson is now Apple's in-house go-to well, one of the interesting things he said at the press conference was, you know, he was asked about, you know, he said he didn't want to put it out week by week. He wanted to put it out across three nights because yeah. that's how he enjoyed the Beatles anthology when it came out in yes. New Zealand and Australia, not in the UK and Ireland, unfortunately. And we've talked about that before. But I thought that was really interesting that he had the anthology in the back of his mind in terms of presentation, how to get it across to an audience. And I was thinking, please, could please, somebody give yeah, Peter Jackson the anthology? Please working on rushes, the anthology in the back. You know? when, I'm, when I'm making whatever commercial or working on whatever I'm doing, you're all about managing tone. So you shoot certain things in a certain way with a lens or, yeah. you know, you can do it in post-production and so on. So 
I always talk about the Coen brothers, how to manage tone. So when he's colorizing it, yeah. you know, he could have gone for a darker tone. He could have gone for a lighter tone. He could have gone whatever thing. But he managed a consistent tone throughout all the piece, yeah. which again is not easy to do because you're doing it from a pacing point of view, from an editing point of view, from a producing point of view, from a sound point of view. So the tone is consistent yeah. across all three episodes. Yeah, I do want to watch it again because I think there's tons of stuff technically that we just haven't noticed or haven't mm. put together in terms of, you know, he just makes it look easy um, in what he's delivered. And it, it really flies by <laughs> the whole the whole eight hours of it. It's quite remarkable. I'll leave you with this point. Yes. Um, because one thing I did like about it um, is it kind of reminds me of the Pixies um, songs, that's kind of quiet, loud oh, yeah. thing, you know, that they came up with. There's some beautiful, quiet moments in this. So like yep. the Paul thing, when he realised what they're going to put on the roof, there's a lovely moment where he's uh, showing the clapper loader how to play the yes, piano yes. and all those little details. And there's all those kind of really generous bits in it. And when you see Ringo coming in the morning playing the, the piano with Paul, all those little moments that are kind of, I don't know if they're lost to the age or not, but just shows it in such a great light. And uh, so, you know, in rewatching it again, yeah. which we will do, I'm sure, um, those quiet moments against the verse, the loud moments mm. are just as incredible as the loud moments. Yeah, they all seem, they all seem at their core lovely. They're all fighting their own battles, you know, and they're all trying to do their own thing. But, you know, watching this, you know, it's not a rewriting of history. It's, as I've said before, it's where the history or the future of the group is unwritten and they really are trying to do their best at the end of the day, I think. Do you think? No, I agree. I, th I, I think it does provide a context. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's not a recasting, uh, it's not a rewriting of history, but I think it does get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, it, get rid it gets rid of the baggage that the original Let It Be film dragged along with it because of the date on which it was released, the circumstances in which it was released, not the circumstances in which it was recorded. Yeah. And uh, sorry, one other last one <laughs> is... Again, uh, we had cut to, his mic. We, we, had, no, we had a bit of a laugh about this. Another quiet moment is Michael Lindsay Hogg has been dragged onto the roof. Yes, as a director, literally, and <laughs> literally, and has the, the cigar still in his mouth. And I'm thinking, that's what I should be doing. Why are people dragging me onto roofs where when I can smoke my cigar? We're up on the fourth story here. We could just climb out onto the roof and go for it. You know, see what's. I think we should do a rooftop podcast. That's an excellent idea. That's uh, yeah. So you're giving it. Uh, two thumbs up. I'm giving it all the thumbs that I have, which uh, I have three thumbs, don't tell anyone, uh, up five stars uh, across the board. But yeah, great. Um, so for someone like me who's game passing interest, thought it was fantastic and definitely worth a rewatch. Well, there you have it, folks. You know, you don't need to listen to us. Just listen no, to Edo. Listen to Edo. I, I think, you know, probably the, the, the thing that really struck me about this was, you know, that famous photo, Stephen, of them sitting in the control room of the Apple Studios. Yes. And they're all supposed to be miserable. Yeah. And Yoko is there. And by the way, Yoko kicks ass in this. Yoko is great. Yoko is so good in this. <clears throat> and, and we should say Heather as well. Heather is great. There's a great Heather-Yoko sequence. The, uh, uh, Yoko is mag fantastic in this. The Yoko, the John Paul Yoko jam all of it's gold um, but that kind of photo where they're in the Apple control room and they're miserable that's another one of these things that's kind of passed down into legend yep. and watching this I kind of realised they're not miserable they're concentrating they're concentrating on listening to the playback and you see that photo come to life and they're just kind of they're, they're deep in concentration nodding their heads grooving on what they've done hearing what's great hearing yep. what they want to fix it's, it's a recurrent theme in the Apple Studio section. And when that penny dropped for me, I was like, that's what this is all about. It's, it's about taking the let it be experience that we've known for the last 50 years and expanding it in yeah. all directions, 
in terms of how long it is, how colourful it is, how many people are involved, how much music we hear, how much of the linear process we get to involve, uh, you know, get involved in. That's what Peter Jackson has done, I think. And done incredibly well, incredibly successfully. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I give it three thumbs up as well. I give it four thumbs up, but I'm not going to talk <sighs> about that. I mean, listen, I, I, you know, as I've said before, when I heard Jackson was getting involved, I was hoping he would deliver something like this. He has delivered and exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic thing. Um, the Beatles Get Back, it is streaming exclusively on Disney Plus from November the 25th. It's a three-part docuseries across three consecutive nights, November 25th, 26th and 27th. You can subscribe on DisneyPlus.com. You'll get it in 4K. You'll get it in Dolby Atmos delivered to your home. You can watch it in your dressing gown. I mean, what's there to complain about, really? I'm going to have to go and buy better speakers. And a dressing gown. And a dressing gown. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. I think I'll have to do it again. And, you know, you can just watch it over and over again. And then you can kind of think, well, geez, what, uh, what, what, if they did ever hit the Blu-ray, what kind of stuff could we get on? Could we get that one after 909, the 12 I, minutes I, of I may, ne- may never leave else? the house again. It's, uh, there, there's a lot to go, but it's certainly going to be a two or three... Um, uh, Blu-ray package and we won't get into the weeds of whether we'll get the rooftop gig on CD but we really should we should we really should um, but what do you think everybody you know we often try and send you away to the records we want to send you off to Disney Plus to watch the Beatles get back which I'm sure you're all going to be doing which we can talk about ad infinitum it is uh, it is a game changer I think for um, the Beatles history and how we see the Beatles isn't it it is. It, it is. is. Absolutely. Um, so let's all keep the conversation going in the usual places. Our website, uh, www.nothingisrealpod.com, has a gateway to all our usual stuff. The Facebook group that Stephen will let you into. Uh, the Twitter, at uh, BeatlesPod account. Uh, William running our Instagram. Uh, the occasional, um, you know, TikTok that goes up once every six months. Are you going to do a Beatles Get Back I think I'll have to do a Beatles Get Back TikTok. You know, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they're already all over it themselves. Um, you know, we're happy to talk about this in all the usual places. But for now, back in the studio, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.